Ladies and gents, welcome. Uh, it's uh, lovely to have your company once again for this episode 24 of the Football Attic Podcast. I'm Chris Oakley. Uh, it's been a couple of months, I suppose, since the last uh, Football Attic Podcast, but um, we're back, back, back once again. And this is the first in uh, a series of special podcasts, you could say, uh, relating to uh, a new feature on the Football Attic uh, on our football attic website which is called the 50 greatest football shirts ever uh, we're going to be here uh, discussing that not just on this podcast but hopefully on a few that will follow in due course as well but more of that later uh, I say we uh, I need to introduce you not just uh, to my ever-present cohort Rich Johnson but also to our special guest today first of all uh, Rich uh, welcome to the to the podcast how are you I'm good mate how are you I'm, I'm fine I'm fine I'm, I'm feeling Absolutely full of vim and vigour as ever good, with these podcasts. We'll be talking. Lots, yes. Lots of, no, it's vimto, not vigour. Vim, vimto, vigour. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> vigour. Sorry. <laughs> and um, if we're going to be talking football shirts, not only do I need to lean heavily on Rich, but also uh, two other fine fellows that we've uh, had on the podcast before. You may remember <coughs> if you're a regular listening to the Football Attic podcast, it gives me great pleasure to welcome Jay from designfootball.com and John Devlin from truecoloursfootballkits.com. Hello to you both. Hello, Chris. Hello, hello Rich. Hello, hello. Hello. Oh. It's, a, it's another forehander, ladies and gents. Which this is the, this is the four-way. <laughs> I was going to say, that's got slightly euphemistic, but we'd better move on. Um, anyway, as I was just, as I was just saying, um, uh, we've got a new feature, which if you've been following us on the website and on Twitter and Facebook and things like that, you'll know that uh, we have this feature, the 50 greatest football shirts ever. Um, in short, this is our attempt, the four of us, this is our attempt uh, to essentially put a positive spin on the greatest football shirts that have ever been designed and ever been worn. And um, we're doing a, a countdown, one blog post pretty much every day for, what, seven weeks or so until uh, we get from 50 down to one. And on each day, one of us will be telling you about a particular football shirt that we think is uh, worthy of note and uh, telling you about its uh, good points and um, you know, giving it a, a suitable tribute in each case. Um, so what we've decided to do on this podcast is to actually discuss the shirts that appear uh, in positions 50 to 41, um, and uh, I suppose to that end we'll, uh, we'll kick off proceedings <coughs> by starting off with number 50. Um, uh, all the pictures, by the way, for these, all the wonderful illustrations that John Devlin has been uh, busy doing for so long, uh, they're all available on thefootballattic.com, and as I say, if you follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well, so if you need a visual reference, that's where you'll find them. Uh, but uh, yes, number 50 uh, we uh, put in our countdown was the Netherlands shirt, uh, which was worn in 1996. Now, Jay, we come to you first because this was one of your nominations. You wrote the blog post that accompanied it. I have to say, this is a classic example of one where somebody nominated a shirt and I thought, what on earth is good about that? But it wasn't until I actually saw the shirt up close and saw your description of how it came to be designed and so on that I suddenly realized that I'd been giving it uh, a bad... Uh, had a bad reputation towards it, if that's the right way of putting it, for all these years. Tell us a little bit about the shirt. For those people that don't know about that shirt, just tell us, in in a nutshell, what's so fantastic about that particular shirt. Well, you're exactly right, Chris. I agree with everything you just said there. The, that shirt, when you initially see it, especially on the pitch, you look at it and think, well, that's the same shirt that they wore at USA 94, um, not so dissimilar to the one they wore at Euro 92 either. Um, white contrast collar and cuffs with blue and red trim on them and it's uh, an, just a, a 
what seems to be a plain orange shirt with possibly some kind of watermark on it. But when you actually look closely, and, and that was the first instance that I saw of, of it was uh, in a sports shop, was seeing that the watermark was actually uh, a shot of the players celebrating a goal. Mm. And if you look at the, the picture, the certainly at a glance, the kit that they're wearing on the watermark could be that kit, which is... Yeah. That that just blew my mind as as a kid who probably struggling with the world, <laughs> the world around him, seeing something which which stepped into some fantasy, uh, infinite recursion uh, with parallel universes. That that's the sort of football shirt for me. I think this is the one with the as you mentioned in your blog post, the dross defect. Is that the correct pronunciation? Yeah, that, I think that's exactly what they call it. Is. Yeah, um, I think there's another there's another phrase I can't remember what it is in in the art world they call it something slightly different. But the Drost effect, Drost is uh, it's a Dutch, handily enough, it's a Dutch cocoa powder I think, and um, uh, and it's it shows uh, there's a picture on the tin of a woman making some hot chocolate or something, and uh, she's got a tin of that hot chocolate again, and then on that tin. <laughs> is a woman making hot chocolate with the tin of hot <laughs> chocolate. And so this obviously carries on forever. Now, that is, it's not as straightforward as that on the on the football shirt um, because all the players sort of have their back to the camera for this photo. So you can't actually see the front, which is quite handy as well because you can't disprove the theory. <laughs> you can't actually see that they're not wearing that shirt. The, the picture is actually taken from, uh, I think it's Bim Yonk scored against Ireland in US, USA 94, and that's the picture that they've used. But because it's the ambiguity uh, allows you to believe that there is this recursion going on. I tell you what, Ovaltine missed a trick with that one, didn't they? All those years ago, they could have been selling bucket loads of the stuff by now. They'd have put that on the tin. Why, <coughs> why would Ovaltine have had a Holland shirt on it? <laughs> Stop interrupting. Sorry, I think we get the point. Sorry, sir. But, yeah, but, but you're right. I mean, I, when I sort of saw the shirt, when I first saw it and I saw it being worn in matches on TV, I just thought it's a plain orange shirt and, and a very basic one for the time. So, you know, what gives? But um, I didn't realise it had this, not even a shadow pattern, but a shadow picture. Um, I think is um, I, I clearly underestimated it all this time. So um, definitely worthy of uh, including in our top 50. Um Rich, John, I mean, were you aware of the, the, the subtle detailing of that shirt for you know, back back then? I suppose you would be because you know more about these things than me. Well, I mean, I, I was. I think I went to a Glastonbury festival, festival about that time and a friend of mine actually had a replica of the shirt. So he oh. kind of had it on all weekend. So I sort of lived with it a bit then. But I mean, that, that, the, the 94 version, was that also the first time that the Dutch flag colours were on the shirt as well? Is that correct? Right. You might be right there. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that that sounds likely. So obviously the, the 92 version, which is still a very similar shirt, probably didn't have the trim on the collar and the cuffs. Yeah, you're probably right there, John. So that's it. I think that's interesting. But what's also good as well is that the um, well, what's interesting is why it was never taken up by anyone else. Why did Lotto never roll that out for anyone else, or or anyone else pick up on that idea? Mm. I suppose production costs and stuff like that. Maybe I'm thinking, did it, would it only sort of really push the boat out a little bit for a team of uh, Netherlands? High esteem, maybe? Who knows? Interesting. It's interesting. But like you, Chris, I was very um, not so sure about the inclusion, but then, of course, I was f thoroughly swayed by, by Jay's write-up on it. 
So it's good it's, stuff. It's also uh, a rather sort of almost narcissistic thing, isn't it, to have a picture of your team celebrating a goal on it. It's like kind of very presumptuous, especially as it turned out in Euro 96 when they got 4-1 by us. <laughs> but they did days. at least score a goal, so, you know, which knocked Scotland out. <laughs> yeah. Hang on. On that note, <laughs> a I, I'd, like, I'd like to point out that actually I, I was gutted when they did. I am remember half Scottish, so yeah. okay, the new. I think I was. was that the game? I think I think Scotland played Switzerland that day, didn't they? And I was actually yeah. at that game at Mill Park. Yeah. What way to the results coming through? So. And how unlike yeah. Scotland to be in the last game of a group stage and relying on other results to get through. <laughs> and, and not going through, yes, indeed. Yes, quite. Uh, anyway, moving on. <laughs> so that was our number just, 50 shirt. Sorry, go on. Sorry, can I just go back to... That's uh, the point John made there, because about the, the trim on the on the uh, Netherlands shirt. Because Rude Hurlett used to wear a uh, an armband, which was the... Uh, which was the Dutch, Dutch flag, flag, wasn't it? So I suppose that was oh, the right. only that was the only hint to it before. But then they started bringing it into the the trim of the kit, and they've used it quite a lot. I think the <clears> 2008 shirt had it quite bold on the collar, didn't it? The I think it was 2008. Yeah. Well, yeah. even to the extent where they've started boldly putting the red, white, and blue on the change kit quite a lot, haven't they? On a white background mm. and stuff like that. So it's, they've clearly recognised they do have a national identity, and um, it's about time they started using it. So uh, fair enough, I suppose. But it's yes. interesting as well how how many international shirts are in our top fifty as well. And I'm just what I wonder. I think we spoke before. I wonder what the significance of that is. Why do so many of them appeal to us? But this is a, a very very good example. I suppose because mm. you see them at major tournaments, and if the tournament itself is particularly memorable, then it will obviously stick in your mind. Mm. Indeed, mm. indeed. Um, yes, so there we are. I mean, we're not going to obviously we're not going to give away um, which shirts are going to be <laughs> in positions forty to number one or whatever. We're going to sort of keep those cards close to our chest. We'll have to listen to subsequent podcasts to find that out, and indeed visit the website. But um, anyway, moving on, we come to number forty-nine in our uh, countdown, which is the Hull City shirt. Uh, 2007-2008, which is made by Umbro. Now, um, as you, I think we may have said earlier on, the, the, the first few in, in our countdown have been nominated and indeed written about by Jay. So this is another one of yours, Jay, and um, an interesting one insofar as the template, such as it was, that was used by Umbro, is better known perhaps for being used with the England shirt at the time, and yet this one looks better um, in the whole colours and in, in the whole sort of format, you might say, and for that reason alone, I think it's probably worth uh, including it in the top 50. So what caused you to nominate that and, and put that under our noses? Yeah, this one is actually... The template certainly is um, is important because it's terrible. So they, it, was a, it was a turning <laughs> point. <Reverse logic. laughs> I'm really selling it to you here. The, the, um, <laughs> the, the importance of it is that it became the turning point of kit design because that shirt came out, everyone... <clears throat> Virtually everyone looked at it and went, well, why does it have all this extra stuff on it that we don't need? And that's when Umbro decided, okay, we're going to strip everything back and say, and, and we're not going to have any of this stuff anymore. But fortuitously, I suppose, with, uh, with Hull, it, it actually worked quite well because they cut it down to two colours, which the England shirt wasn't. Mm -hmm. So uh, with Hull, with, with England it was uh, white, navy and red, and there was and gold, I think. One of the Umbro logos yes. was gold as well. Yeah. So. It's just far too much going on it, with so many different little flashes on the sides and on the back, and and all of this stuff on the England shirt just didn't really look didn't really look right, and it was too much going on. 
with the whole shirt, um, it was only in amber and black. And I've been corrected on this because in, I think in the article I say that it's gold and black, and someone pointed out actually they were amber and black. So apologies to to whole fans for that. It was I've uh, self flagellated quite a lot over that over the last <laughs> week or so. Dirty but, devil. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, I've liked more of it than, than I probably should have done but the, <laughs> the <laughs> there's an image um, with the with the whole thing if you know Jay then you have that image sorry go on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll send it to you later um, <laughs> the the whole shirt was uh, was just the two colours amber and amber and black and somehow it worked uh, particularly mm. on the, the side panels because the side panels which show a, which are supposed to represent a de deconstructed uh, Umbro logo, um, actually look like tiger stripes, and the, mm. the pattern on the shoulders as well, which is a load of diamond logos, a bit like tiger stripes as well. And obviously, Whole City nicknamed or officially named the Tigers, depending on who you just, who you speak to, is mm. it it works out quite well for them. The just the two colours working together like that. Yeah, I think it definitely works as sort of one colour contrasting against the main colour of the shirt, black against amber. Um, I tell you what, you're in very treacherous uh, territory there. If you, it's like when you sort of refer to wolves as wearing orange shirts. I tell you that that doesn't get anybody's backs up. Anything like that, it's just that's the worst thing you can do. Um, but uh, but no, it's a lovely it's a lovely shirt and a nice sort of pared down, sort of almost a, a muted kind of look because of the lack of unnecessary colours and colour palette. Uh, what do we think of that one? Uh, John and Rich. Well, I mean, I'll let you go first, John. Oh, thank you. I've I've always got a bit of a soft spot for that era of Umbro shirts, and they were incredibly fiddly and, and illustrating them, especially when I was doing at the time the backs of the shirts, the detail, the little bells and whistles everywhere throughout it were you know a real nightmare. But again, I think it really suited Hull, and I think primarily for the little flashes that went under the arms that hinted back at the old match winner Tiger Stripe shirts, which you know mm. are kind of very iconic for Hull. It, it fitted, and Jay's totally right in selecting that team shirt for, the, for that template because of those yeah. reasons. I think I like the asymmetrical look as well, which of course was big at the time. I, I think it added a real flair to kit design. So mm. it had to change in the same way that things go in cycles. It was so complicated, it was so fiddly, there had to be a reaction to it, and it was almost Umbro that created it, and then Umbro that rectified the mm the situation by pairing them right back again for the next the next set. Too right, yes. In fact, um, I think you may have even mentioned before, uh, maybe when you were on our podcast before, uh, John and Jay, um, about that particular Umbro template and the fact that it was used by lots of different teams. My own team, West Ham, had that template mm. as well, and it sort of suffered for the same reason as the England kit, really, because you had the claret and blue, the main colours, but then there were also white diamonds on there, and... It, I mean, it wasn't bad, but it didn't have that nice sort of pared-down flair that the Hull City version has, I have to say. So, um, yes, that's that, I think, for me, that's the best incarnation of that uh, of that design. Uh, Rich, anything to add on that one? Uh, I also agree it's the best incarnation of that kit design. <laughs> <laughs> As that kit design itself... Um, <laughs> It's anything not anything favorite. unique that somebody hasn't already said that you'd like to add about that design? Uh, there's no one sworn yet, so I could say that. <laughs> uh, it's not one of my favourites. I, I mean, to be honest, it, it does work better in the whole uh, template because 
because of what everyone's already said, which is that it's only two colours, and that that for me was my one of, the, and I think um, it's already been said, but the one of my biggest bugbears with the England version of it was the fact that it was so busy, and I think I've described it previously as someone sneezing in a bag of shapes and just sticking it wherever they <laughs> fell, you know, and it, it it but the whole it does work a lot better because of the the two tone nature of it, so still not one of my favourites, but but I can I can see why it's been included, so. Uh, uh, I will cease to to talk about it on that point. <laughs> that's well, another... almost diplomatic. It's <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, we haven't we haven't got to one of the next ones in the list yet, so I'm <laughs> I'm reserving my ire. <laughs> well, I was going to say at this point it uh, behooves me to say because um, we've since we've started this whole um, series of blog posts and things, uh, we've been interacting with some of you uh, on on Twitter and Facebook and. Um, a few people, a few slightly discerning voices, have been sort of saying, "How can this shirt be, appear in, in, you know, in, in this countdown at number whatever it is, 49 or 47 or whatever it happens to be?" It should be borne in mind that the fact that we are still quite low down in the top 50. I mean, the fact that it's in the top 50 at all is is a, an honour, I think, for any of the shirts, frankly. But we're not sort of up in the top 10 yet, so you know, we are, you know, we're letting you. We're at the moment, we're we're cutting you some slack. You can have your little comments and complaints at this stage if you like. But when we get to the top ten, stuff like that, you might want to keep quiet because you know we've been picking things, picking shirts. We've ordered them meticulously so that the best ones are nearer the top. So I think I don't know if you can see where I'm coming from. That. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Um, now then, I think uh, we go on to number 48 on the old list now, and um, here's one that's a, a bit of an eye opener. It's um, uh, it's a shirt that only was worn once, uh, and it was the uh, Germany away shirt. Um, it was worn against England, is that right, um, uh, Jay, if I remember rightly? Yeah. Um, it's a green one, a green in the tradition of many Germany away shirts, but the key thing with this one is that it had the black, <coughs> red and yellow ribbon, tape, call it what you will, uh, which is more familiar on a white background for the home shirt. Uh, Jay, the floor is yours once again. Yeah, th that's um, that's an interesting point. I don't. We have one of the most iconic uh, kit elements of all time and we don't know what to call it so some people call it a <laughs> diagonal thing some people call it a flash some people call it a ribbon uh, I, I don't know what the official name is maybe we should speak to Adidas and find out what it is but everyone knows this design so everyone has seen it but not many people yeah. actually know that shirt exists so it, I, I've read articles online that have that include pictures of this shirt from that game against England and mm -hmm. where they say that Germany are wearing the the awake it that they wore against England in the 1990 semi-final and it's like open no. your eyes that's clearly not the same <laughs> shirt but because they probably don't care about football shirts as much they just see it listed as England wearing the home kit and Germany wearing the wearing green white green and and just presume it's the it's the same kit that they wore in the 1990 semi-final which is iconic in its own right as well mm. um, but this yeah it, it's a it's a pure mystery why Germany wore this shirt. They, they've recently been reunified, certainly as a football team, um, and they turned up, uh, uh, turned up at Wembley for this friendly and decided to, to wear which, something which was... Uh, reversal is the wrong word, but it was <coughs> the home shirt dyed green, in effect, with mm. the, the Adidas stripes um, on the shoulders were white, which makes absolutely no sense either. But somehow, altogether, it it works quite well, in, in my opinion. 
Yeah, when I first saw it, I thought I'd, my first reaction was, "Oh yeah, I've seen them wear that before." And then um, clearly, I was mistaken because they have only worn it once, and that particular match will have long since faded from from memory, really. But um, it's—I have to say, speaking personally, I can't really get my head around whether I like it or how much I like it. It's sort of—it kind of works for me, but it kind of doesn't. Um, uh, John, Rich, um, back me up or tell me I'm wrong. One, one or the other. I think um, I I like it and I don't like it and I, I like it because I like that design and I like to see Germany's away shirts in green. The thing I don't like is the shade of green. Is is it's it started off that kind of period where they started drifting away from their sort of their normal sort of kind of mid green, if you like, which was kind of I like it's a nice shade of green, you know, a very strong green, and they started going more towards a kind of I suppose you could call it like almost like an early nineties style green, you know, kind of a bit funky. Um, and I, I wouldn't have had to describe it really, but it's a kind of, and that there's this, I think they have the same uh, shirt in, not the same design, but the same colour in Euro 92 for their away shirts, which is just a basically reversed, again, to use mm-hmm. that term, version of their Euro 92 shirts. And I, it's just a shade of green that I don't like. Um, and I, it just, I think if they'd have stuck with the mid green, it, it kind of would have worked better. But the, but similarly, I, I didn't even know it existed until Jay brought it up. I'd never even seen it before. Mm. I, th- I think one actually, it's really funny when you look at kits on your own, you get a totally different view. When you exchange, when you kind of interact with other people, one thing that you've said is that you, you weren't aware of it existing, and it looked like what they'd worn before. <clears throat> and in some respects, it almost makes it a perfect away kit because it, it doesn't. It doesn't kind of jar. It feels very natural that they should be wearing it. But, of course, it prevents a colour clash. In some respects, I think that's really good. I think it, it's a good a mark of a really good away kit. Maybe that's a dated view of it, because nowadays people don't want the away kit to be a simple mirroring of the home. But mm. I think from what you've said, there's there's a lot of truth in, a lot of truth in the idea that, uh, you know, if, it doesn't, if you don't notice it so much, maybe that makes it a good thing. Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point, John. The... The idea there is that, yeah, you avoid the, the kit clash, you have to change, you're forced to change, so you, you wear a, an away kit, but immediately you're recognisable as, as, the, as the team you are. So, um, yeah, it's as a principle in away kits. I mean, you, you see it often. Uh, I think Sevilla recently had a... Or, or, I think it was Sevilla, had a, an away kit which um, contained an element, so it may be a band across the chest where the badges were or something like that, which was... Could it could have been lifted directly from the home shirt? Mm. So the 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 more that you can do that, the better, I suppose. That you you transfer as much as you can from the home shirt without actually falling foul of regulations. Well, it's it's really it's really tricky because I think so many clubs' identities are being eroded by sponsorship and and kit manufacturers to some extent, where their brand overshadows that of the club themselves or the team themselves. So for their kind of identity to still be very very strong. I think is is brilliant. But one guy um, I spoke to on Twitter was saying about he he described the concept of an away kit being the same design as the home as a bit Sunday League in inverted commas. And I found that really. I thought, am I that old then that I you know I still think that's a really good idea when kits are the same. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it used to be a, it used to be a very common thing in the eighties. I mean, yeah. like, I think we've talked about this before. Man United uh, eighty six eighty seven their home away and third kits with exactly the same design, just different colours. Not just that year though, Rich. That was throughout all of the eighties virtually. Yeah. I think the first the first Adidas set of kits was slightly different, but the rest of their shirts, exactly the same design, just three different colourways. Great. Mm-hmm. That's the job. Works for me. 
Yeah. I, I have to say at this point, I was listening into the latest um, 200% podcast with uh, Ian King and Ed Carter earlier on today, and um, they were talking about the, the kits, the best of the kits from the season just finished and the best ones coming up next season. And um, I think it was Ed that raised the very same point and said, you know, there's nothing nothing finer than seeing a, a straight reverse or a, a transposition of the same template from home kit to away kit, but in different colours. And um, I, if I if that makes me old, then I'm I, I'm only too happy to admit it. In fact, Rich will um, tell everyone that I'm old, even if I don't. I was going to say, I think I think just your age makes you old, Chris. I don't think anything else well, needs to. <laughs> guilty as charged. The Germany actually. Um, what what you said about that that started a, a cycle of of German away kits in that colour, um, and the next two actually contained as much proportionally as much of the German flag as that one. So in '92 it was on the shoulders. Um, mm. In in '94 it was a huge yoke, <clears throat> and the same thing again. They were direct um, <clears throat> transposals, or is that the right word, of the home template onto the away kit, but just in different colours. Yeah. Yes. There we go. An interesting, an interesting shirt that one. And um, yes, that takes us nicely on to what number are we on now? Number forty-seven, I think. And now this is a a real unique design that you won't find exactly anywhere. This was um, a shirt for uh, a team from Mexico called the Pumas, uh, often referred to as Unam Pumas. Uh, and uh, this shirt is gold in colour and has a black sort of stylized Puma's head on it, which is uh, magnificent, I think, and another one that I hadn't seen before, before we um, started this whole thing over a year ago, by the way, in case you hadn't realised, this, this whole <laughs> thing is a year in the making. We haven't just gone down the pub and scribbled this on the back of an envelope or anything. This, is, uh, this has all been meticulously worked out for ages and ages. Um, now... Apparently, this is one of many shirts that have, have follow a similar track. Is that right, Jay? That they've sort of had this whole Puma's head thing going on for a while, or have I got that quite right? Yeah, I think so. Um, they're, they're not a, a particularly old club. I'm not sure how old exactly, but they're, I think, 1960 or something that they were actually formed. Um, but they've always, or certainly uh, the last 50, 50 or so years, they've um, they've had that the Puma face as... Large and bold on the on the front of the shirt. Um, mm. It looks a bit like a Transformers logo. That's the immediate reaction to it. Uh, it looks like the um, what what the the good guys called in Autobots. It looks like an Autobot yeah. logo. <laughs> um, yeah, so so that, that's you an old. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> really? Must have it. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, it it is Autobot. Um, I'm not old. And Decepticons. <laughs> okay. Sorry, don't know what came over me there. <laughs> um, yeah, so the. So it has this... What's going on? <laughs> what earth is that noise? Welcome Rich to our neighbours. Sorry about that. I'll just close the window. <laughs> Your neighbours sound very strange, John. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Have you got dinosaurs living next door, John? <laughs> there was a story recently about a guy. There's a story recently about a guy who poisoned his next-door neighbour's dogs because they kept barking all the time. Oh, no, they're cats. That was it, because they kept doing stuff in his garden. He, he, I think he got a fine of 100 quid. I think that's money well spent if these dogs are <laughs> not Oh, yes. I agree. <laughs> Sorry, Jay. Back to you. <laughs> Just lost the animal. Uh, maybe it was a puma. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> 
Well, well, yes. Um, yeah. So, Autobots. so they have this huge. Yeah, <laughs> Autobots. Um, <laughs> they have this huge logo on the front. This Puma face. It's stylized Puma face on the on the front of their shirts, which I think today is probably wouldn't be allowed in most competitions. So they get away with it in South South America because that's always been their logo, I suppose. But it, certainly, if they came to the Premier League, that wouldn't really be allowed to have uh, mm. something referring to the club the club's insignia that's so large on the front of the shirt because there's tight regulations around that. But um, they've always had this logo and the the shirt's iconic as a result. Uh, so, so that's whatever shirt they have each season has always been regarded as iconic. But this one came out and it replaced Puma. So you would always think of Pumas as as being fit for, for Puma, the perfect fit. Mm. Um to be to have uh, Puma as their manufacturer as well, but Nike came in and they made this shirt and they they rendered the Puma logo as uh, just an outline, and then the rest of the shirt was quite simple. It's actually navy rather than black, um, and then it has a few sponsors in in navy as well. But they because it's again like we said with the whole uh, the whole city shirt because it's just the two colours contrasting with each other. It actually <coughs> works out as quite a uh, a subtle shirt, even though it's got a huge Puma face on the front. It does raise that whole thing about because it's such a large motif on the front that it that the sponsor has to be pushed up right up under the neck, which is kind of a uh, by British standards at least an abnormal place to find a, a sponsor's name. But then there's also sponsors on the sleeves as well. In this case, because it's the Mexican league. Um, but um, uh, Jay, John, I mean, does that kind of you know, that kind of having to rearrange the different com components, the sponsor's name and all that, does that detract in any way from the design for your money or do you think overall it looks like quite a nice design? I think personally it it, I, it doesn't rock my world too much. I think I'm, I'm a big fan of loads of sponsors, I have to say, which goes against, you know, many what many people would consider to be an aesthetically pleasing football shirt. But it's, um, I think it's actually, it's it's quite a plain design. But of course, I guess it is it is good the way they've, they've they have integrated everything there, and mm. it's a one-off. You don't see, you, you know, so seldom people push that. I mean, Wolves tried it with a Puma kit, funny enough, back in the nineties, mm -hmm. where the, the angled panels gave the indication of the, the iconic Wolves badge. Um, but but really it's it's yeah it's a it's a real bizarre one it's an oddity but it's, it would I wouldn't say it's a real favourite of mine personally. Yeah. That's I forgot about that one, John. Yeah, it's about yeah. 1996. Is that right, Wolves? Yeah, 1996. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's I, worth I checking believe, out. I was going to say I believe that was the Wolves kit that was uh, uh they they had a bit of trouble with it um, for female fans because apparently it had because of the design of the the ears on the wolf which formed the neckline they had it had quite a plunging neckline on it um and apparently uh, I remember seeing an article on the news at the time saying that female fans weren't particularly pleased with it because it showed off a rather a lot of cleavage <laughs> yes it was it was almost it was almost like an, not an american football but it had that real yeah deep neck i know that's right rich it is it did fine in my book <laughs> <laughs> trust you to notice is all i can say yeah. there Hey. Uh, that principle is quite interesting as well. What John mentions, that, or, or might have been you, Chris, the um, the sponsor being pushed up quite high, but also mm. we've seen a lot of kits uh, where the sponsor is miniaturised um, to mm. give more uh, to give more impact of the actual shirt colours or the crest and so on. Well, this has the same effect, but in in reverse because you increase the size of the club crest mm. and then 
Well, I did. Uh, what follows on from that is the sponsor, in comparison with the crest, is a lot smaller. So, although it's pushed higher, I suppose you you giving more importance to the club over the sponsorship again. Yes, true enough. True enough. An interesting observation. Well, we now come to uh, number forty-six in our countdown. It's uh, another Adidas shirt. This time it is uh, the France home shirt, two thousand nine, two thousand ten, the TechFit version by Adidas. Uh, another one nominated by yourself, Jay, there, and um, it's, well, I mean, f as someone who's written a feature and, and illustrated many of France's home kits down the years, previous thing on the Football Attic podcast, um, this one joins that merry band in, in the, uh, the, the, the rich blue colour that comes shining through, but this one is distinctive for what reason specifically there, Jay? Uh, there's, well, there's several reasons that the... The first thing is that this was the shirt that ushered in TechFit, which was this new Adidas idea, um, very similar to something that Kappa had done a few years ago, where shirts were suddenly very slim fitting. Uh, the idea being that uh, when the player, I suppose, sweats, the sweat is drawn out through the wicking properties of the shirt, then it slides off the sheen of the front of the shirt onto the ground, you're not carrying the extra weight of this moisture, and so on. Anyway, what this actually looks like is it's it's a muscle t-shirt, so it's a very tight shirt for the players who obviously now are wonderful physical specimens, look great in. Uh, with this particular version, which was, as I say, this was what ushered in TechFit, but then this was followed by many teams around Europe wearing um, a version of TechFit the following season, and for maybe a couple more years... Um, what this what this meant was that uh, the Fran France players version had was was a nod to the 1984 shirt, so the shirt that they wore when they won the European Championships in France. Mm -hmm. uh, so there was, there's a historical nod there. Yeah. Uh, they also did that in 1998. Uh, so they won the World Cup in 1998, wearing a version of the. 1984 shirt or a modernised version of it, uh, so it brought success. So they thought they'd try it again with this one. Uh, the the reaction Im immediately wasn't great because suddenly players were wearing very tight shirts. There was also uh, a rubber strip on the shoulders, which was power web, which people didn't like. Far, far too futuristic, people concluded. Uh, I didn't really care too much about that. The main feature for me was the way that they modernised the 1984 front pattern. So they they angled it um, on the abdominal muscles. So it so it was both a futuristic shirt, but also not into the past. So that was that was the main reason I I liked it. I thought it was uh, it was forward thinking whilst also being um, uh, a retrospective, I suppose. Yes. Um, sorry, I, I, unbeknown to the listeners, I can see. Um, <laughs> I can see Rich on my screen in front of me. We're, we're using Google Hangouts just for, for want of you know shining some light on the magic here, and he's making some truly obscene gestures, I have to tell you, ladies and gents, because for all that wonderful advocation that you've just done there, Jay, <coughs> I sense that um, Rich is not entirely a, a, a fan of this design. Um, before I give my two pennies worth, maybe uh, you'd like to take the floor at this stage, uh, Rich Johnson. Thank you. Well, I realised that... I, I mean, as Jay would say, I hate this kit, um, but I realised that we, we got contacted on Twitter by the guy who apparently designed it, so do I, should I be diplomatic or should I be honest? <laughs> um, I, I despise this kit for many reasons. Um, 
uh, do you know what it is? Is the, the overall thing is is to me it's it's the ripping off of the '84 design again, and it is a rip off. It's a tired rip off. Um, it's like, oh look, we won a tournament in '84 wearing this kit. Oh look, we did it again in '98. Oh, I know. We've uh, kind of run out of ideas for what we can do for the kit. Let's do that again, and then maybe we'll we'll win and not go out in the first round in <laughs> you know shame and ignominy, you know. Um, and it was just to me, I don't care that they've angled it or chopped it up. I don't care what they've done. The simple fact is, to me, it was a sign of how much a change was needed. And in the French football kit, because Adidas had just gone stale, because pretty much every every shirt since '98 was a kind of variation on that '84 shirt, too often. And yet, annoyingly, they'd qualified in what I think was one of the best French shirts of recent times, which was a really you know, almost and many people don't even know it existed because they literally only wore it for the qualification campaign. And it was um, an all-blue shirt. There was no red on it whatsoever. It had a, a collar very similar to uh, the 86 shirt. And then it had sort of ever larger panels of a lighter blue color. Now, I know you're not a great fan of that one, Chris. But to me, it was just because it was so different and because they'd done something that wasn't based around the 84 shirt, I loved it. And then to find when they turned up at the World Cup in another 84 rip-off shirt, it was like, oh, come on. And then when Nike t- took over the contracts and rolled out their first show, which was completely different, it further emphasised to me how much they they needed the change and how much Adidas had just lost the plot. So, so yeah, I managed to do all that without swearing, didn't I? <laughs> well, indeed, yes. Congratulations, yes. Uh, and um, El Dejo on Twitter, you can unfollow us now. Um, <laughs> hey, it's just my opinion. It was, you know, I'm saying no more. I'm, I'm sure you're very good at other shirts, and I'm sure, hopefully, you were told to do that. But you know, <laughs> no. Well, can I come back on that? Because yes, please do. No, no, you can't. There is no comeback. Is it is it El Dejo or is it El Dejo? I, I reckon it's El Dejo. Okay. Yes. Uh, it, it doesn't matter. He's he's gone now. So. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. Um, yeah, I I agree with some points that that uh, Rich has made there. The the qualifying shirt, not again, not pe- not many people know that exists. So they even wore that version with uh, Braille, uh, the their names in Braille on the back mm, for true. one game, which was a great version of that shirt, which I, I really liked. Um, it was a really nice shirt, and the idea of not having the uh, the red on the on the shirt was great as well. It, it made it a different shirt. What I did think about that, and there seemed to be a, a pattern emerging, is is teams possibly having an understated shirt in qualification for tournaments, and and then in the tournament they wear what we could call their real shirt. So this is the mm. the proper shirt. You have a, a warm up shirt, and then you have a and then you have a, a, a international shirt proper, I suppose. But that was a great shirt. I agree with that. The the other thing, what, what you say about Nike taking over, I understand that those kits were grey, even if they were maybe um, rehashes of Umbro kits that, that Umbro had made for England a couple of years earlier, which I think most people will admit that they're heavily influenced by the Umbro kits that England had just before. The thing with Adidas and France is they, they were almost synonymous. The Adidas stripes on the sleeves of France shirts, apart from that qualification shirt that Rich mentions, had the, the French flag on them. There's so much that when you saw a France shirt, you thought immediately Adidas because they had been partners for so long 
30 years or 35. How, how long would it have been? Would have been at least 30 years, wouldn't it? It was about 74 or something like that. I think they, they um, took over from Lecoq Sportif, I think, if I remember rightly, from my article that I did a long time ago. So, yes, good. good yeah. 35 years, something like that. Yeah, yeah so see, when you thought of, of France and, and football shirts, you immediately think of Adidas. So it was a shame when, when they went their separate ways. And the final shirt was a shirt that divided opinion. It was just, for me, the, the looking back at, at 98 and 84, which you, let's remember, these are the two most important moments in, in French yeah, football and history. And 2002, and 2004, no, and 2006, I don't, 2000, I don't accept <laughs> a, a, a blue shirt that includes white and red when it's It was French the way that included it. No. Well, no. shirt. It, you can go to your website and look through all the shirts, because Chris has put them up there, and people can decide for themselves whether they are actually all references to that 84 shirt or they not. Are. And I would argue that only the 98 is, and only the 98 and the 2009-10 one. You're wrong, but you know. <laughs> I think there was one they had in 2000, and, it's either 2004 or 2006, which was a kind of a sort of swoopy design across the, the uh, oh, yeah. centre, which was exactly the same. It was a red one at the top and white underneath. It's exactly the same. The rubbish. No, that's yeah. not the same. I know which one. You're thinking of 2008, I think, which was a very was unpopular shirt. Yes. That's rubbish. Yeah, but no, that, that doesn't look anything like the 84 or the 90. does. They all do. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, if I, can, if I can chip in with my... If I can you know, crowbar in a few um, references in my own. Um, I, I, one thing I would say is um, that the 84 design with the red stripe and the, and the three white ones below it, I think, was such a simple but really nice clean, bold design that in some ways it could have been adopted in pretty much, you know, kept intact in its original form as the French kit for, for years to come after because I just thought it was so good um, as it is on a few occasions it has been sort of um, reinvented and um, rebooted shall we say and, and um, I think out of all the different versions I mean I thought that the um, version in 98 was a bit kind of rough it was just a bit I don't know it, it looked a bit of a sort of market stall version almost to my mind it was a lot of extra piping and I don't know it just sort of lost the innocence of the original version in 84 um, and I, I thought actually the the version that we're just talking about now which is at number 46 in our countdown it was actually a nice version of the shirt however I thought that the tech fit elements of it just complicated it too much there was too much shiny stuff going on around the shoulders and I just sort of, I know it was the reason why that was incorporated into the shirt for all its kind of wicking properties and stuff like that but um, I'd have rather had the, the regular version of the shirt actually just to kind of be a little bit clearer about the red and the white detailing. I, I thought it was actually quite a nice shirt in its own way but not a classic in, in essence. I think there have been other better French shirts down the years. Can I, can I just add two things? One, I actually quite liked the tech fit part of it because it yeah. added a, a new dimension, and I like the fact that they kind of appeared as darker stripes all over. So I did actually quite like that. And the funny thing is, overall, if it hadn't been for the 84 and the 98 and all the other shirts, uh, I, I'd have actually quite liked the design itself, because it's a slightly darker blue than they had been going for. So it's a nice design in its own right. I just don't like the fact that it was lazy. Um, but the second thing is, the whole tech fit thing was actually nothing to do with wicking. It was all about muscle definition 
and it was mm. supposed to sort of hold your muscles in a certain way and therefore increase, I don't know, muscle power or something. Mm. Yet another fad, I believe it's called, that ultimately turned out to be nothing. But it did. I remember in the uh, in the 2010 World Cup, it did have a, a lovely image of uh, Nicholas and Elka with boobs. <laughs> Because it was so tight on him, it just literally looked. And there was, a, I think, there was a the tech fit that came down the front. It literally just curved round his his pecs and gave him a lovely appearance of lady lumps. <laughs> <laughs> lady lumps. Yeah, that's what I believe they're called. Isn't that right, Fergie? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she. Well, she she's here. Well, um, no, Is she not? Oh, damn it! <laughs> she's, she's dropped off the call. She got bored talking about tech fit. <laughs> um, so uh, yes, there we are. And suffice to say, it's a, it's a shirt which is somewhat divisive. It um, polarizes opinions. Um, if you're uh, wondering uh, why John isn't uh, contributing at this stage, unfortunately, John has had to leave us. But Never fear, he's not uh, gone completely from this podcast. We managed to grab a word with him about another show which is coming up, and so he'll be back uh, in edited form uh, later on. Uh, but the three of us will proceed. We, uh, we move on to number 45 in our countdown. Now, this, this is another one that raises a few eyebrows. It's a Cork City shirt. Uh, Cork City from the Republic of Ireland for those of you who aren't aware 1989-1991 home shirt um, it was uh, nominated in fact by a good friend Dennis Hurley and if you're listening Dennis thank you very much for your contribution essentially this is a shirt not unlike the classic uh, West Germany shirt from the 1990 World Cup except uh, instead of having a black red and yellow ribbon slash tape slash uh, wiggly thing I think whatever it was that uh, Jay called it earlier on um, it's uh, green red and green um, which are the colors of the Cork City shirt now obviously uh, we haven't got uh, Dennis here to uh, talk about his own nomination and such like but um, gents I think um, uh, it's it's an interesting one this one insofar as they wanted to have their sponsor Guinness across the middle of the shirt, so they had to push that ribbon thing slightly higher up. That, in turn, has sort of put the badge and the Adidas logo right underneath the collar. It's that thing, again, of re readjusting the uh, positioning of all the elements on the shirt. Um, it looks quite nice, um, in, a, in a way, really. I think the green and red colouring kind of works well with white, but I suppose it will always be in the shadow of that West Germany shirt, won't it? So um, what's your views on that? Uh, well... Yeah, I, I'm not sure about the badges actually. The, the the ribbon that you mentioned is actually is a little bit thinner as well to yes. compensate for it, but to be uh, it being raised. So I'm not sure how high the badges go. They might go a little bit higher. Uh, yeah, I've, I remember seeing it in I think it was the shoot. Uh, there was a catalogue that used to appear in shoot, or certainly a page uh, a page oh, advert yes. in shoot where it had it listed. And it, John Devlin um, has got an article about it on his on his website, TrueColorsFootballKits.com. Right. Um, and it, so it listed all these great shirts from around Europe. And I, to this day, I'm not 100% sure if they ever sold any of them. Because all <laughs> these shirts that, that were on this website, they're so rare. So now you see so mm. few of these shirts. But I actually wonder whether it was a, a huge scam. Um, <laughs> I, please don't sue me if it wasn't. But <laughs> it... it there was all these fantastic shirts from around, all around Europe. So Maver Barcelona shirts. There was, uh, what's the, uh, is it a Flamengo Brazilian shirt? Uh, yes. Yeah, Flamengo from Brazil had a shirt on there. So one of the shirts on there was Cork City. It was, it was a little bit random. For, the standard of the Irish League was not great at the time. But immediately you looked at the shirt and thought, well, recognisable immediately because it's, um, 
because it's got the, the ribbon effect, yeah, the German ribbon effect on it. And also the sponsor is Guinness. Now, to, to anyone living in England, that's like... <laughs> to the Irish, it, it's, it maybe means very little to, ha to have such a um, ubiquitous brand appearing on the, on the front of a football shirt. But in England, having, having Guinness as a sponsor just seems just really cool. So mm. that was great as well. I remember looking at this this catalogue and thinking, okay, so I'm gonna, as a kid, you write lists all the time, and and you write, make a list of which football team you support in every country. And immediately for me in Ireland, it was Cork City, <laughs> simply because of that shirt. I knew nothing about football in Ireland, um, but it would it would have been that shirt. It just looked great. Well, I think um, as uh, Dennis said in his um, uh, article that's on thefootballetic.com as as we speak, um, the recent history directly before that shirt was that they actually had um, a kit which was the same as the QPR kit at the same time, except uh, it wasn't white and blue hoops, it was white and green hoops with red trim along the edges. So, And they've also had, I think, plain green shirts. So to go so so dramatically to the other end of the scale and have a plain white shirt but with a red and green ribbon it was just dramatically different from what they'd had before and i think probably anything they've had since as well so if you're certainly if you're a cork city supporter then it's going to be one of those that really sticks in your memory and and certainly is worthy of um telling uh, uh, it's a story worthy of telling other people about for sure so um rich your view on that shirt good good bad or otherwise i really like it um i mean i think for one thing, it shows the um, the versatility of that particular template, um, and I think it works really well in those colours. I, I, I think it just looks really nice. And it's the funny thing is, you can argue that that template itself is quite a busy one because obviously you've got you know lots of different lines going in, different angles and stuff. But actually, it looks like a very um, classy shirt because you've just got plain white black logo and then just the ribbon design on it so no, I really like it I think it's, it's really nice and I think it's of all the times when that template was used because I think it, it also got used a lot in training kits and um, mm. tracksuits because I think Arsenal yeah. had the tracksuit and it's it kind of the colours kind of jarred on that one but I think in this one it just really it is really nice and I think the fact that they've not used too many other colours as well. So like with the, the the West Germany away, what sorry, the Germany away one. Um, obviously, with Jay mentioned, it had the white stripes on it on this on the um, sleeves, which kind of detracted from it. I think because they've kept all the colours the same, it just I don't know, it just makes it quite classy in my opinion. Hmm. Yeah, what, what um, we use the word template. It wasn't really a template. It was more an, an element, wasn't it? Because it obviously is miniaturized on that shirt. It's it's made smaller. Uh, sorry, it's miniaturized. You're changing the colors. You're obviously using two colors rather than three. It was an element that Adidas were using on a lot of things, including training wear, that, that was quite versatile, as, as that shirt demonstrates. The thing about Cork City, um, they, their kits were made by a company nearby, a sort of factory nearby, I suppose, um, as I understand it anyway. Dennis Hurley would be the man to, to speak to about this, but they tended to have bespoke kits every season. Rather than having whatever everyone else had, they had a, a specially designed kit that was designed under license from Adidas, I think, so they could sort of play around with the design a little bit, which was great. So if you go to his website, corkkits.com is Dennis's website, and it's got every season, all the kits they wore every season. It's just fantastic. So some one of the comments we had about this kit was uh, from the 
the Twins. We are the Twins, I think. Um, yes. And they said it's not even my favourite Cork City shirt. Well, ordinarily, that's a huge insult. So you've included it in your top 50. It's not even the best shirt that that team's had. But with Cork City, you can take that argument and give it some merit and say, well, well that's actually not, not a terrible thing because they had some great shirts and, and there's several shirts that could have been in the top 50, really. Fair point, fair point, well made as well, yes. Um, an interesting point as well, here's one to sort of think about. When, when you've got a shirt that's so iconic as the you know, the West Germany kit that that's obviously, shall we say, based on, for the sake of <coughs> argument, um, if you, let's say your club then um, you know, unveils a new kit which is based on that, um, the fact that the, the West Germany version is always going to be the sort of superior one that everyone always thinks of it, and, and you know, are you going to be happy or sad as as a fan that when you see that your club has got clearly a in quotes copy of such a well known kit uh, that you know it'll always be everyone always think oh that's the West Germany shirt. I mean, is that a good is that good or bad? Do you think is, is it it's sort of, I'd say I can't, can't really call it a template because it wasn't used very often, but um, it's a sort of design which I'd have thought once it's been seen on a on the shirt of a team like West Germany or if it was a Brazil or an Italy. Surely, if it's used on anybody else's shirt, it's, it's always going to be sort of second rate as a, as, you know, by comparison. Am I making any sense? I'm probably not, really. I, I know what you mean, but I totally disagree, purely because I will cite the example of Denmark 86 and Coventry 87-89, which is my favourite Covkit ever. And I once we found out we were getting Hummel uh, as a kit manufacturer after we won the FA Cup, I, I really wanted it to be that Denmark 86 design. I mean, admittedly, at the time, I didn't know of any other Hummel designs around but it's just I really wanted that design and when it turned out we had it I was I was overjoyed so it depends I think it entirely depends on the design I mean I think if you'd got you know like Hull and West Ham and found out you were getting that crappy template from from Umbro then yeah I would be gutted especially if it was a terrible England kit to start with but if the design is strong then I'd be really happy to get it I mean we're as uh, Coventry are just changing over to Nike right now and there's a few templates they've got which actually I'd quite happily have as uh, as shirts and even that's just out of their teamwork catalogue so it depends on the design I'd say yes Fair yeah, enough. Um, I yeah I, I agree with what you're saying Chris and I think I, I would say in this case Cork City is maybe an exception that pro proves the rule that you you outlined there um, because it was so different because they had, had managed to uh, customise it in such a way that that it had other elements and it, it was distinctive in its own right. You didn't see it as um, as purely a rehash of the of the Germany show. It, it used the the element well, uh, but it also brought other things to the table. So, yeah, it it doesn't. It's not a stick to beat that Cork City shirt with. I think. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Well, um, uh, at this point we go on to number forty-four in our countdown, which is a shirt belonging to a Brazilian club, Corinthians, and uh, this is the first one in the countdown that you've nominated there, Rich. It's uh, it's a uh, one that perhaps many people won't have seen. So uh, tell us about its uh, myriad virtues, if you would be so kind. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, this is, in all honesty, this is one of my all-time favourite football shirts. Um, so. Uh, the fact that it's not higher up the list, you know, screw you all. But you know, <laughs> um, what I what I love about this is, I mean, we we live in a world now in, in the kit world where we we have kits changing every season, and we have you know myriad uh, limited edition or special edition kits, which is fine, and I like that because I go out and buy them. But that's you know the fact that we're getting, you know, if we seem to be celebrating anything and everything now. I mean, like. 
I think I bought a Bromley kit a couple of years ago, a non-league team who were celebrating 75 years at their current ground or something. Or it might have been their actual 75th anniversary, but it was based around that. But it's like similarly, River Plate had one, which was we've been at the, our current ground for 75 years. Woohoo! Let's have a special shirt. I still bought it, but you know, because it was an awesome <laughs> shirt. But, um, so the one I've actually gone for here is the Corinthian Centenary shirt. Now. There are ways of doing centenary shirts, and there are there are good ways and there are bad ways. And the interesting thing is, there used to be, there were an awful lot of centenaries of uh, British clubs in the 80s, uh, and most passed without incident. You know, yeah. I think when Coventry's centenary came along, we didn't even do anything. We didn't even there was nothing to denote that it was our centenary whatsoever because it just wasn't done then. I think that was the early 80s, so it's like it, yeah. it didn't happen. By the late 80s, you started to get kits like uh, Celtic's um, uh, hundred year one, which was again just that what would be a normal home kit for them, but with a slight denotation on the badge that it was their centenary, yeah. and they changed the badge back to their original one. Um, so there's there's subtle ways of doing it, and then you get some ways that are kind of just horrific, you know, and they kind of release this uh, monstrosity of a shirt to you kind of like to shout. And it's usually what they tend to do now, because obviously they're conscious of making money, is they'll release a limited edition third shirt or a fourth shirt, um, which is a centenary. So they keep the home as it is and the away and the third shirt, and then they'll release a limited edition one so that they can cash in even more. Now, what's in, what Corinthians did was they just changed the home shirt for that season. And there are many reasons why I like this. I think just as a look of the shirt itself, it looks really nice. It's a kind of golden cream color. And the reason for that is Corinthians' original color was cream. And when they mm -hmm. first started off, they used to wear cream-colored sort of cotton shirts. Uh, but what they found after a while, and this is all written in the article, is that the, the, the shirts faded in the wash. Um, so they kept having to buy new shirts every couple of seasons because it was, you know, their, their shirts were turning white. So that's why they actually wear white now because they eventually decided that, you know, sod this rather than keep doing this. Let's just change our kits to white and then we don't have to actually worry about buying new ones every couple of years. Hmm. So they did that. Um, and so for the for the the centenary, they went back to the original cream color. But what they what Nike have done with it is. They've they've kind of changed it up a bit. So rather than just go for the straight out, you know, a lot of centenary shirts tend to be almost identical replicas of the shirts they wore like a hundred years ago. I think Bologna did that. They had one which, you know, had like a massive neckline, you know, with a button-up thing right almost down to the midriff. Um, but this is they've kind of done a modern take on it. So it's it's a kind of it's got stripes on it, and then it's 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 a really nice sort of minimal black trim on it. Um, it's still got all the original, it's still got all the sponsors on it as you find on South American shirts, but because they're all done in black, uh, it kind of it, I don't know it, it kind of retains the sort of modernity, but also at the same time having a nice nod to the past. And so for that, I just like it the fact that they've managed to me it's like kind of the ultimate mix of modern and old. So, mm. uh, but I'm also aware that a lot of people don't like this shirt. So you know, uh, everyone else have your opinions. Well. Um, well, I mean, I quite like it in the, for the details that you mentioned in your blog post, really, which is that the you've got this kind of nice fading effect on the sort of um, the stripes, the sort of shadow stripes, if I can call them that. Um, and as you say, the, the the stripes are also flanked by thinner sort of pinstripes as well down the outsides and stuff like little details like that. You've got the I think you said is a is it a reworked badge and and um, 
Yeah, it, they could have gone completely nuts with it, but it's it's it looks modern. But you can see that it's based on something which is traditional, which is I think um, a, a really admirable thing to try and achieve. And obviously, we're seeing that a lot now. I think in football kit design, um, I think in terms of how a shirt is styled, um, less is more. And so, pretty much every um, almost seemingly every manufacturer is, is going for a kind of toned down, modest look, almost like a sort of plain, fairly plain look with hardly any motifs and flashes and stripes and things. And and that's kind of what you've got here. You've got, the, you've got a nice, simple black collar, black cuffs, but with a, a few sort of modern touches as well, understated. And so it's a nice balance, I think. And then they've, they've retained that slight cream color as well, which is also very distinctive. What say you, Jay? Yeah, I, I agree with um, with what you've said there, Chris. I, I don't necessarily agree that everything is about being understated. Now, I think I think there is a little bit of a shift in another direction. This is a good example of it that the overall look is uh, is quite subtle. So you have a cream shirt, and then you have just a minimal black trim on the uh, on the cuffs and things like that. The but then you, as a shadow pattern or, or shadow stripes or watermark, whatever when you, whatever way you want to look at that you have a little bit of a feature there so if you look closer you've got something going on so it's not a very good example but the new Liverpool shirt for next season by New Balance that is relatively simple there's a little bit of very very thin trim on the cuffs and on the collar but then you have um, the shadow stripe background pattern so that's something that's coming back which Umbro had, had dispensed with all of that they just said very very simple maybe not even any trim we just have the badges. We have a neat collar. Uh, we don't have watermarks, anything like that. But this this is a shirt that um, that demonstrates that you you can actually bring some of those elements back. I, I'm not a huge fan of it. I think it's okay. Uh, I think it's a, a nice idea to go back to the the cream color. And cream is is a good color for shirts. Is I think it's Universitario or something, Universitario yeah, yeah. de Peru or something. They tend to have cream shirts. I might have the team wrong there, but I think it's it's a Peruvian no, team. Right. Yeah, that has um that has cream shirts. So it does work as a colour. Uh, and the the element that you mentioned where the stripes alternate between darker and lighter in the background. So, but so they're always contrasting with each other. It's uh, it's a bit of a mind bender that one, but <laughs> whether it actually works in the aesthetics of the shirt, I'm not so sure. But yeah, it's got some interesting elements. Hmm. Jolly good. Well, we've now come to number 43 in our countdown, which uh, is a shirt that's been nominated by John Devlin. And um, John, this is the Norwich City away shirt. And it was, I'm trying to remember what year it is now because I've somehow managed to lose the details in front of me, but it's basically a nice dark racing green colour. Tell us a bit about it and why you nominated it because I'm sure it's fair to say that you've uh, managed to get universal approval from all four of us, he says. Lying, <laughs> it's one of those shirts, actually. I mean, there was a real period at that time, it's 2005, 2006, where, again, there was lots of sort of... Um, asymmetry around things weren't balanced they weren't regular lots of different things going on in the kit world which made it a very very exciting time I thought it was just stunning for a little club or a club perceived as a little club like Norwich to come out with something as bold and as almost revolutionary as this I thought was just such a great statement it was made by um, the Scottish firm Zara um, who are now based in the US I believe and just mainly focus on the US market Racing Green came from the sponsors, Lotus Cars, and it was, again, it was kind of designed in conjunction with them. 
but it, it was just, I just think it was a wonderful, wonderful show. It, it, it was a bit of a forerunner of the, the multi-tonal shirts we see today. So you've got two different shades of green there. You've got the yellow trim, the quite extraordinary neck design where it's kind of twisted sort of 45 degrees to the, to the side. Sponsor's logo placed up high. Um, and everything else just sort of perfectly balanced. I thought it was it was a great shirt. Norwich always have good away shirts. I don't know why they it, they it just seems to be part of their makeup. But for me, just just one of the best. Love it. It's certainly got some sort of quirky features in it. I, I do love the connection actually with Lotus cars and the fact that that's where the shade of green comes from. Because I think, as you said in your blog post, the the tendency was to go with a more of a sort of emerald green. Uh, color for for what well, their home on on their home kits as well as on the away kits and to go with a, a darker right. shade, it's a bit like I think Plymouth have gone along those lines as well, haven't they, on a number of occasions? Yeah, yeah. Gone with a darker shade I think of green. It's um and again that that you know that conjunction working with the sponsor, the sponsor having quite valid input into the the shirt. I think it was a really, really good move. And again, racing green is a classic English colour. It's a really um, a strong. I don't, I don't believe the club had many good results in the shirt, to be fair. But it's, um, yeah, a, a very brave move and and one that was quite well ahead of its time, I think. Hmm. Um, I sort of joked earlier on. I made a reference to the universal approval because it's one that's kind of. It, it, let's just say, listeners, that um, it's one that's caused a lot of dialogue between the four of us as to whether we like it and all the rest of it. Uh, but um, certainly, it's been. Um, uh, elevated in my view, thanks to John's uh, write-up. Um, any any positive comments, uh, Jay and Rich, <laughs> that you can that you can throw in at this point? Because um, well, yeah, we, we need to be trying to be positive. That's the whole reason. I like for it. Doing it. I like it. I've I've never said I didn't like it. It's uh, there's only I think there was uh, one in particular of us that didn't like it. But no, I've I I agree with John. I think it's a really classy looking shirt. Um, I think the only thing slight detail I wasn't so keen on. Uh, was the the asymmetrical neck, which I think was quite sort of common at the time. I never really got on board with that whole asymmetric neck thing because it, I mean, the Norwich one wasn't too bad because it was just a slight cutout, I think, which looked a bit odd. But there were much worse examples of it at the time. But no, I think it's a really classy shirt. I love the the love the sort of the racing green on it, and I think it goes really well, obviously, with the Lotus sponsor on it. I just think it's a very classy shirt. I think it's, and because there's not that many green shirts around it stands out more so no I really I, I agree with John I really like it over to you Jay <laughs> yeah well, I, I don't like it I don't like it at all but the what what John get says the, is, get off the fence is, Jay <laughs> what John says is is important the if you say the neck the, the neck was quite influential the, Adidas came out with something very very similar about 2009 for the the most notable example being the Spain Confederations Cup kit, I think, mm. um, in 2009. They had a very similar neck to that, and it worked quite well on their shirt. Uh, Puma started, I think, in about 2003. They had that sort of asymmetrical neck, something like that. Uh, but, but as he says, the, you, you've got the neck, you've got the um, the Zara logo is is at an angle and high up, which is, as John mentions in his piece, it's it's handy for for when the Players have been interviewed after games yeah. and so on. You know that the the manufacturer's logo is going to be there, so they get more exposure from that. <clears throat> but there just seems to be a lot going on. You, John mentions five or six different um, points of interest in the shirt. I, I'm not sure I want a football shirt to have that many points of interest. So it, it has the, the gradient effect. It has the, the stripes. It has um, this sort of messy watermark thing. It's, I think it's got piping down the sides. It's just so much going on. And... I think I would imagine in in most of the shirts that I've nominated that it would only have two or three different points of interest to, uh, 
that, that you can say, okay, well, that's a feature of the share. Um, but what we've seen recently is we talked, started talking about this about a year ago, and I was particularly scathed about it. But I've softened on it as well because, because of Warrior, I think, because of the kits that they've released, we're getting more used to, to cluttered shirts. And that's not necessarily damning it with faint praise. That's saying that the climate has changed again and we are becoming more accustomed to, to shirts with more going on like that. So I hate it, but I don't hate it as much as I used to. <laughs> one thing you mentioned there, Jay, actually, that I don't think I, I mentioned the write-up. The piping is actually um, reversed seams, which I don't know if you remember, well, again, had a brief period in the sun at that time where it was felt, felt that seams, the sewing of seams was, was irritating to the skin. And a few shirts, I think Puma did it quite a lot, they reversed them and had the, had the stitching on the outside. Again, one of those things that, you know, if it, if it was true, then every shirt would have that. But, of course, it was just a little flash in the pan. So I can see that. John, by mentioning reversible seams, you've just given him yet another reason for saying it's a busy shirt. <laughs> it's just another feature. This is a, this is essentially the Homer from Simpsons when Homer makes a car for his brother and it's just got all these crazy things going on. <laughs> but the one that bankrupted him, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Do you know, do you know what, Jay? Yeah, I can't wait. Like... aren't in business anymore. <laughs> I can't wait, Jay, until we, we find one of the shirts that you've nominated which has loads of features on it. And we'll find that in your write-up, you've, that's the thing you like about it. I guarantee there's going to be one. And I will pounce on you when you do. <laughs> not, not literally. That would be uh, for both of us. Keep our powders right for that one. But um, there we are. So, number 42 it is now that we're looking at, and we have another UK club shirt, you might say, and on this occasion it's my first entry into the top 50 countdown, and it's uh, the Arsenal Red Current shirt, as it's often known. Um, that was worn of the 2005-2006 season, um, centenary shirt and all that. Uh, in fact, not centenary shirt, I beg your pardon, it was worn because it was a last season at Highbury. That's it, I always kind of get those mixed up. Um, uh, Arsenal's uh, tenure at uh, Highbury from 1913 to 2006 marked with this shirt, which has a, something of a story behind it, which I um, have to thank uh, well, my, my fellow colleagues for here in this case because I was unaware of it. But the, the story goes, at least, that um, the shirt was based on the same shirt that Arsenal wore, I think, when they started playing at Highbury, which seemingly was in this kind of deep red, this red current um, shade. Um, however, it has come to light, I think, on the historical football kits website that, in fact, this has become something of a misnomer. If I, uh, correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, uh, fellas, but um, um, the, in fact, it was just um, a primitive photographic technique that made it look like the shirts were of a darker colour than they were, and that, in fact, they were probably wearing the same shade of red as they've always worn, but um, too late to discover that now. Um, they ended up wearing this uh, red current shirt, and I nominated this uh, just because I just thought it was it was a beautiful, simple but stylish, really stylish looking shirt, very plain, no real stripes or no nothing on there, um, but the the shade of red they went for Nike in this case um, was spot on. There's a little bit of gold detailing on there with the Nike swoosh logo and also O2 as the uh, sponsor in the middle. I thought that was a little bit sort of bling and slightly unnecessary, and yet in a way that gold does contrast very nicely with the red current colour. So um, that in itself, not as bad as perhaps it could have been, uh, if you like. Um, 
but just the fact that they dispensed with any stripes, little motifs, and unnecessary detail, it was just... Whichever player you saw wearing it, whether it's Thierry Henry or Robert, uh, Robert Perez or, or whatever, they all just looked so damn good in that shirt. And, and had I been so inclined, I would have probably gone out and bought it myself. Uh, but um, I'm not quite sure why I didn't really. I, I think I could have been very highly tempted to. And, and that's as a West Ham fan, ladies and gents, <laughs> just to remind you of that fact. Um, but I just thought it was a really nice shirt. For, and yet there's... In the nicest possible sense, there's little actually to talk about on it. But did it register on 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 the radar of either of you for for being a particularly nice shirt at the time? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, being, both of us being polite there. So I'll but uh, oh. yeah, I I I think it was um, one of the ones that uh, either I was planning to nominate in this um, vote off or. I think uh, I think I was planning to, but someone had already done it. So, um, yeah, I, I think it was a really classic show. I love the story behind it. I uh, I love even more the fact that it turned out to be wrong. <laughs> I just think that's great yeah. because it, it kind of then actually adds even more significance to the shirt because you've got, like I said, not only the original story, but then the, this this turning out to be completely wrong. And it's like you know, normally I think had that have been discovered at the time it would have been a massive like it would have been you know people would have been raging about it on social media and it would have been this big shit storm to swear there mm. um, but I think the fact that it came out after the event kind of it gets forgiven and it's kind of like you mm. look back and think oh well it was still a nice shirt you know so it's like, and that's the thing it was a really classy shirt but like I say had it have come out on the day they started wearing it that would have been a massive cockle <laughs> But because it wasn't, it, it actually has now just become part of their history. I would not be surprised if at some point in the history they do it again. They go back to that red mm. current. It was almost like a mm. 50 years since we had a red current shirt. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. I've been racking my brains to try and remember what the reaction was to it. And I don't recall that many discerning voices about it because it did look good. And, um, and again, it's another example of one of these shirts where you sort of think, I know this is only temporary. This is only a one-off kind of one-season thing. But... Actually, it's that good that you could almost believe that people could be tempted into sort of saying, I'll tell you what, let's stick with this for a while because it's actually quite a nice shirt. I mean, it was never going to happen because it was Arsenal, obviously, because it was red with the white white sleeves. But but it was that good. And um, and I really genuinely don't remember anybody complaining all that much at the time, which is, if that's true, then that uh, just adds to it. I think part of that reason is because of what you just said, the fact that everyone knew it was temporary. I think mm. fans these days tend to get their arse off about any changes to any kits but I think the fact that everybody knew it was temporary I think sometimes you get a lot of anger these days when it looks like a club is shifting direction and they don't know what's coming you know so like for instance I mean bad example because it was Southampton but they did that for other reasons but like for instance like West Brom when they hmm. changed to their pinstripes this year I think everybody kind of knew it was going to be you know a temporary thing but they didn't know for sure because it was like, you never know, they might have gone, oh, this is going to be our new design for now, and then a lot of people didn't like it because it wasn't traditional and blah, 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 and all that sort of thing, and I think there's similar sort of things going on with Sheffield United for next season, because they've oh, done yes. the same thing, um, although actually the Sheffield United one is based on a kit they had, I think one of their original kits or something. Was it? Uh -huh. I, okay. I don't think it's their first one, I think it was actually about the second or third one, but either way, you know, one of their originals. Mm. Um but I think the fact that in this case everyone knew it was temporary and it was for a reason and so the fact that <laughs> people are a lot more willing to sort of put up with that I think had they have just said oh because we're leaving we're going to do this and, and you know and this you know, you know if we like it we might carry on with it and people would have gone oh hang on a minute that's not our stuff mm -hmm. you know <laughs> yes true enough um, I, I, 
I think Sorry, there was uh, there was some debate about it at, at the time, but something I think maybe the shorts and the socks or something people had said that they hadn't worn that colour with white shorts or something. There was there was mm. some argument about it, but not necessarily the tone of the shirt. Yeah, I I love I love the kit when it came out, and uh, I love it even more now that I know it's it, it was a complete uh, balls up. But <laughs> the um, yeah. I, it is farcical. It's it's absolutely ridiculous that that they've they've made such a big mistake. It's on. I think you can read about it on various places on the website, but on, on various places on the internet, you can read about how they've got it wrong and why they've got it wrong in terms of photo technologies and so on. The mm. the Arsenal uh, the Arsenal kit book. I'm not sure what it's called, uh, Rich. You've probably got a copy of it that Simon uh, Shakespeare wrote. Yeah. yeah. So I think that goes into quite a lot of detail in that as well, explaining what actually went wrong. But yeah, yeah it's, it is a great shirt, and um, I, I love it. I love it now because of that. It's, you, you you describe it as farcical, but I suppose in a way it's uh, serendipitous as well. Serendipitous. They, they made yeah, maybe that they sort of made this mistake, and it, it turned out that it made quite a it it turned out to be quite a nice shirt that that signed off their time at Highbury. Mm. Uh, also, the England rugby team had a, a shirt very similar to it a couple of years ago, I think. Uh, oh, yes. Because they're sponsored by O2 as well, and they decided to have a, a maroon away kit, and with the O2 sponsoring gold, it looked very similar. So, again, it worked. Um, yeah, uh, uh, it is a it is a really good shirt, and it's, it, it, now it is an even better even better story if we look back on it. <clears throat> Two words for you there: surplus material. Um, yes, thank you, Nike, for that one. Um, yeah, now um, one last sort of thing, just to throw in a purely um, whimsical anecdote, really. But um, a friend of mine, Martin, and I, back in in that season, uh, we had a copy of John Devlin's True Colors book. It's a shame he's not here now, to, to, otherwise his head would be getting very big. But we had a copy of his book, and I had managed to. Photo, uh, photocopy various pages from his book, not for illicit purposes. Copyright <laughs> violation. You're not allowed to do that. <laughs> no, no, no. no. I'll just find John, what... isn't he? Kick off. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, we thought we we were down the pub one night, Martin and I, and we thought, wouldn't it be good if we could do like one of these competitions where you sort of pick two names out of a hat and you sort of talk for hours about which one's best, and then you say, right, well, we vote that that one's better. So you put that through to the next round and you get rid of the other bit. And it's like a sort of FA Cup competition, but you can do it on any subject you like. You can do it on, you know, favourite films and this, that, and the other. Anyway, we, we said, let's do it on football kits. So I photo, uh, photocopied lots of pictures from John Devlin's book, and so we did like uh, an FA Cup, if you like, of, of which football kits were the best. Yeah, stick with me on this one, everyone. Uh, anyway, so and uh, so we went through and we were sort of saying, which one do you like best out of this one, this one? Right, okay, that goes in the next round, that goes out and all this. And the winner of the competition was that one. Out of all the um, uh, kits that are in John Devlin's um, book, I think it was his first volume of his book, that one came out the winner and we, we were both kind of just nodding sagely at the end of that evening, sort of saying, that is a pretty <laughs> damn fine shirt. In fact, a pretty damn fine kit, actually. It was just something about the uh, the modern but understated styling. It's that theme again, folks, that lovely balance between tradition and modernity. Anyway, uh, enough waffle from me. We now come to our last kit in this particular part of our series of podcasts, and uh, we come to number 41, and it's the Birmingham City kit. Uh, some of you may have seen this one. It was the Birmingham City kit that was worn from 1972 to 1974, only on a few occasions, and it was the third kit, uh, the third shirt, you might say, uh, often referred to as the Germany shirt. Why? Well, because um, vertically it was divided into three parts, 
uh, one part yellow, the next part red, the uh, right-hand side was black, so it looked like a, a, a Germany, a West Germany flag sort of turned around 90 degrees. And um, I know I nominated this, and I think John may have nominated it as well. Maybe either of you two uh, may have uh, nominated as well, for all I know. But um, it's a very distinctive shirt, very bold, because you've got three very sort of equally proportioned colours uh, on the shirt. And uh, I picked this one just because... It's just bonkers. There is this mythical tale of the fact that it came about because Birmingham City went on a pre-season tour of West Germany and they wanted to get the fans on side, so they thought, wouldn't it be great if we had a shirt that looked like the West German flag? Now, something about that story, to my mind, sounds a little bit implausible. I think that's been kind of possibly made up retrospectively. But even if it has, I don't care, because it's actually just a bonkers shirt and, um, you know, third shirts weren't seen all that often, frankly, in the early 70s. It, or, you know, it, it was just a rarity. Uh, you would occasionally see the odd one, but even if you did see a third kit, it would never look quite as ostentatious as that. I mean, having three so distinct colours um, and quite what fans thought about the, the association with, you know, Germany... Um, I'm, I'm not quite sure, but it, it did look pretty fab, and sadly it was only one on a few occasions. I think I don't think Birmingham actually ever won a game wearing it, but that shouldn't detract from such a, a, a bold and, as I say, for the third time, bonkers design. And that's the only word I can think of to describe it. It's wonderful, I think. And uh, and um, if you're going to do a third kit, you might as well go completely left field with the, with it and, and do something that's going to raise a few eyebrows here and there. That's my view. Um, your thoughts, gents, on that one? I'll go first again, then. Oh, of course. <laughs> After the obligatory two-second silence. Um, <laughs> it's a satellite delay, you know. I, 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 I like it because, it's, again, it's unique, and I like the, the, the sort of the craziness behind it. What I would like is, is to absolutely subsequently find out that it was actually East Germany they were touring. <laughs> <laughs> Just yes. as a kind of like Arsenal sort of uh, red carpet <laughs> special, you know, kind of. Uh, but no, I mean the kit itself. It is certainly interesting. It's certainly it's certainly a unique looking shirt, and it's um, and it's just like you say, it is it's just bonkers. And there was absolutely no seeming needs for that kind of shirt at all. I mean, a they didn't probably need a third shirt, and and b it's just like, why that? Why those colours? You know, kind of yeah. if it, and especially if it turns out that story about the the preseason tour is not true. You know, kind of. Why, how, who the hell came up with that design? Mm. But again, it, it's unique. I, I really like it. Yeah. What, 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 shirt, what uh, flag did East Germany have at the time then? It was the same, but it had a kind of um, motif in the middle, which was like a, a, a wheat sheaf with a, a set of compasses, believe it or not, in the middle. But other than that, it was the same background, the same black, red, and yellow. So you know, try and weave that into a kit if you can. Uh, well, that wouldn't have been... So it wouldn't have been that bad, would it, if they'd been touring East Germany? It would, because they love the wheat sheaf in East Germany. If you haven't got <laughs> oh, the wheat okay. sheaf on there, and the compass, <laughs> that's just a massive incident. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like a bit of wheat sheaf uh, action. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing... just insulted. <laughs> um, thing is, um, one plausible reason why that it may have come about, aside from this whole pre-season tour malarkey, is that at the time, I think I'm right in saying that Birmingham were wearing their famous penguin shirt, uh, mm. which was blue with a big white band down the middle, and their second kit was a red version with a white stripe down the middle. Now, given that you've got a potential clash there, if they, uh, basically that white band down the middle, if they're playing any team that's got white on their shirt, and, and probably they will have a 
will have blue and red on their summer as well because they're quite often, you know, quite regularly used colours. At least going with something black, red, and yellow. I mean, there's not going to be a clash with that in a million years. So it does at least alleviate that potential for a clash. I mean, let's say if if Birmingham are playing Chelsea, then the blue clashes. If they're playing Leeds, the white clashes. If they wear their chain strip and they're playing Arsenal, then it's the red. And and there's the the white big white band down the middle. Lovely though it is. I love that Birmingham penguin design, by the way. Mm. Um, it it, I think there is a potential for a bit of clashing there with the white, so uh, maybe that's the reason for it. But um, interestingly, I think there are some Birmingham fans who call it the Belgium kit, which is the right <laughs> colours, but not in the right order on the Belgian flag. That's another story. <laughs> Just for it's adding a story about educational standards in Birmingham, maybe. Exactly. There you go. You see, yes, yes, not too many flag experts in uh, in the West Midlands. Um, um, the that's an interesting point you bring up again. What we what we talked about earlier was the uh, the the away shirt, uh, at least not into the design of the home shirt. So there is a, mm. there is an element that's been transferred across there because you do have a middle section still, don't you? So mm. yep. I don't know what the proportions are like, but I imagine they're more or less the same for, are, yeah. for both shirts. Yeah. So that's that's an interesting element of it as well. The other mm. thing that you've mentioned in your article, and it's been alluded to elsewhere as well, is that because one side of the shirt was... You, looking at players different sides on... It could almost be like there was three teams on the pitch. Yes. Because from one side the player is wearing whatever colour on one side, and then red and what, what colours is it? See, my flag knowledge is pretty poor as well. Yeah, you see. Orange, yeah. white, and green. <laughs> Poking fun at brummies, and you don't even know yourself. Um, so, no, it's, it's black from one side, yellow from the other, red down the middle. Yeah. Yeah. So. That that's going to be. I don't know whether that's confusing or or <laughs> we, we definitely know we're not the blacks or the yellows. Is that is that what you do if you're the opposite opposite team? Like you need to remember two things. Um, well, that's, I think <laughs> that's, that's probably you're... the worst statement that's ever been said on any podcast ever. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, uh, apologies for, for that. Yeah, I didn't mean anything by that. Um, yeah, so <laughs> I seem to remember. So from I seem the to deep remember, South think... in America. Yeah. <laughs> I, said, I think I've mentioned before on, on, on a Football Attic podcast that um, the year that Coventry City had their famous Talbot kit, they had a change one that, that they were able to wear on TV, and that was light blue at the front, and it was white at the back, so if they were running one way out the pitch, it looked like it was a completely, like a third team would suddenly run on, and so it's that optical illusion thing again, and, I, and I'm not sure how I feel about that, I kind of like the quirkiness of it, and, but on a practicality level, it is a little bit kind of... Distracting, let's say, to put it another way. Um, the, but anyway, the the other thing um, that I have to get in at the end of all of these podcasts is a mention of base layers. And with that <laughs> shirt, <Jesus>. the uh, <laughs> with that okay. shirt, um, just edit it out, Chris. Edit it out. <laughs> the um, it would be difficult to get the a base layer that would. Sh- that would suit that shirt if they were gonna because they should really re-release that shirt. I'm not sure why they're not re-releasing it. Um, so if you have a short sleeve version of that, you would need a base layer that goes underneath it, which would have to have alternate sleeves. Which still the the base layer world still hasn't uh, really brought to the table, apart from O'Neill's in Ireland, but they've given up on it as well. But there you go. <laughs> on that note, <laughs> another I'll brilliant point story. from Jay there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we can always rely upon Jay for a base layer reference. Um, <laughs> it's what you pay your license fee for. I oh, know we don't have that, do we? Um, no. um, anyway, yes. Um, so I think that essentially uh, rounds up nicely our first. 
tranche, if I can use that word, of uh, 10 shirts that are on our uh, 50 Greatest Football Shirts countdown. Uh, be sure to keep visiting www.footballattic.com for, for more. Of course, there'll be, as I said before, there'll be a new post released every day, and this will be going on for a while, so you can chip in and uh, tell us your views on any of those shirts as they uh, are published. And uh, we look forward to receiving your feedback. Um, however, if you feel that um, some of our selections are inappropriate, then uh, we don't want to know. Um, but uh, <laughs> can anyway... I, can uh, I just say something about that? Sorry. Yes, go, um, on, go on. The... I, I, I just think bring it on. If you don't like our really? selections, let us know. I, I couldn't care less. And I will argue with you. So, yeah, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> well, this, this is the thing. I think I may have alluded to this earlier on. The fact is that, you know, if we'd have done one of these typical blog, po blog posts that you see cropping up time and time again about the worst football shirts ever designed and the worst 50 football shirts ever and all this kind of <laughs> nonsense which is just like turn the handle on the sausage machine and like churn some more out, yeah, yeah, whatever. All that stuff is regurgitated. You know that, don't you, listeners? It's just copied and pasted, and then someone just you know inserts a slideshow thing, and that's it, job done. Well, we've gone to a bit more effort than that. So if you do uh, feel the need to tell us that we're wrong, then, you know, needless to say, you need to know that we've thought long and hard about why we've nominated these things, and you can read all about our reasoning in our blog post. So, uh, you know, we're, we're not saying, joking aside, we're not saying that we're just going to bat all of your comments back at you and tell you that you're uh, an imbecile. Um, you know, we've, we've thought about this long and hard, and we've put in the effort, and we've put in the, uh, the hard yards to write these articles, and we hope you are grateful for that effort, uh, needless to say. So uh, there you go. But if you want to have a verbal uh, fight with Jay, then uh, you know where to find him. <laughs> um, but anyway, I reckon that's pretty much it. Any uh, last words, gents, before we uh, wrap up formally? Nope, not for me. Um, there we go. Yeah, just on that point again. Um, <laughs> yeah. Feedback so far has been fantastic because... Yes. It's not as if everyone everyone has been in, in wholehearted agreement, but we've had some very enjoyable discussion about it. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Well, um, long may that continue, and uh, we hope you enjoy the rest of the uh, 50 Greatest Football Shirts Ever countdown as it proceeds over at the Football Attic website. Well, um, for the time being, uh, in John's absence, thank you very much indeed, John, for being here, and thank you, Jay. Thank you, Rich. Uh, wonderful to talk to you as ever, and uh, I'm sure we'll be back again very soon to discuss the shirts from number 40 to 31 in our countdown. But for the time being, from the four of us, well, three technically, it's goodbye. 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 Right, now that's got me riled up. Let's talk about tech shit. <laughs> okay. Are you, you going to call it that? I'm not. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that's going to be the Easter egg at the end of the podcast. <laughs> right.